Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and welcome to Origins. You don't strike me as a guy who goes back and looks at things and wishes they were done differently, but as you started the show in that first season in particular, were there things that you later learned about the show that you had wished you knew at the beginning? I I don't know. Um, I know that when I drove home every day, you know, because we were improvising it, a lot of times I would think, would this scene have been better if I had written it? And um, 98% of the time I thought, no, it was better improvised. You can just get to places that you couldn't get to writing. Did you find, though, that the editing process was a form of writing for you? Sure, definitely. But the editing is really hard. It's tedious. It takes a long time to edit a show. I mean, compared to a written show where you're doing two to three takes, and they're all the same. This show, every take is different. It seems to me, though, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in the first season, you kind of let things play out maybe like a beat or two more than in subsequent seasons. You, It seemed like the editing was a little bit a little bit of a quicker trigger figure, and we were... Yeah, because the stories got denser. Right, okay. So I was editing to a half an hour, and there was more story to cover, so the scenes had to be shorter as a result. And was that a conscious decision about the story, that changing the, the narrative? You never feel that the show's long enough, that there's enough in the show, so, yeah, you keep adding story to it. This year, this year the stories are even longer. There's even more to it. I know too many people who um, stop working the moment they no longer have to work. Clearly, that's not the case for you. This is where you're, you get your psychic income, then, I guess, right now, is that <laughs> in your life? I suppose, but... Um... I can't imagine not working. I don't know how people do that. Clearly, you didn't have to come back for another season. You didn't even have to do this series. So we're watching somebody who's really getting to do what they really want to do. Yeah, pretty much. Again, very lucky. I couldn't imagine having more fun. The hard part is the writing. I think you get an idea for an arc, and, and that's that. I don't think people really care that much about an arc, though. I think they wouldn't care if there was an arc or not. I think they just want to see the show. If there's an arc, well, maybe that's a bonus. Were there a couple outliers where you did a show and you thought to yourself, okay, this is, you know, if I had to put an episode in a time capsule, this is the perfect kind of episode of what I want the show to be and what the show turned out to be. It just seemed to me like, even with like Palestinian Chicken or some, I could name 20, but... Yeah, Palestinian just... Chicken, um, The Doll, which was the second season. That stands out to me. I love doing that final episode of The Producers where I was actually in the show. I love that Bill Buckner episode. <laughs> oh, you want to see it? Let me see it. Let me see it. Fuck, catch. What? What are you doing? What the fuck? Oh, hey, sorry. What happened? Sorry. Oh, my God. I missed it. I'm sorry. It's in the middle of the street. Larry, what the hell were you doing? What? No. Why did you throw it to him? I, you know, I was just... I thought you were a professional. A you couldn't even catch... It was a catch. throw. No, well, it was a horseshit catch also. Hey, fuck. Hey, who, that was a good either. throw. It was Mookie Wilson, fucker. Mookie Wilson, what did Mookie do? All he hit is a little shitty ground ball. Get out of both of you. You ruined the gift. So, do you feel like now, looking back on on the beginning of it, that you were able to kind of do something that you hadn't done before, and given the freedom that HBO gave you, do it really in in the way you wanted to? Yeah, I really got very lucky with this show. It was a perfect outlet for the idiotic things that consume me. And to be able to do it without any inter- network interference is just, 
you know, that's why I came back. It's just so much fun, and I really couldn't ask for anything more creatively. One of Freud's definitions of maturity is the ability to handle ambiguity. And Larry David certainly challenged the cast, crew, executive offices at HBO, and millions of Curve fans with his idiosyncratic decision-making on whether to continue doing his show for another season. This was a new kind of cliffhanger. There were numerous times where Larry had either said or intimated that he had enough. But there doesn't seem to be any member of the Curb team who was relieved. Quite the opposite. More than a year would sometimes pass before white smoke finally would rise from the David chimney and Curb's return would become official. The show's first eight seasons premiered in 2000, 2001, 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, and despite the long silence after season 8 ended in 2011, many never gave up hope. It turns out they were right not to. So it was what several on the show called a thrilling surprise when Larry decided to come back in 2017, a full six years after the last season had premiered. You know... Once again, it goes back to being an actor and not having control of situations. So, you know, after every season of Curb, Larry would always say that that was the last season, (laughs) since season one. So there's always been a part of me that has felt like, okay, I should move on. I don't know what's going to happen next. And you can't sit around and wait and hope because that also doesn't help or matter. So you have to just keep moving forward with your projects and then just have faith that if Larry wants to do another season and if I'm involved, that the people I'm doing projects with will work with me and work with Larry. And what's pretty fabulous about this show is so many people, especially in the industry, really like Curb Your Enthusiasm. (laughs) They really like it. And... People that I've worked with, even when I was working on with Fox, they were very accommodating. Across the board, people were saying, well, we want to see another season of Curb, so we want to help you make this happen. <laughs> I remember the moment he called me to tell me we were done after eight, and I went into a deep, deep depression because not so much that I wasn't going to work or make the money or anything like that, but I felt like I had to say goodbye to this character who I I loved. So I love Susie Green. And I felt like I had to say goodbye to her and it felt like a death. And also say goodbye to her relationships with Larry and Jeff and Cheryl. And, you know, so I went into a depression. It got for maybe about seven or eight months, I was in a depression about it. Not like a deep, dark depression, but just a a mourning, like a grieving is a better term than depression, I think. Because I felt like something died, which it did. So then, you know, six years later that we're back, it's, and it's like, no, we didn't skip a beat. It was like nothing changed. But I don't know if he, when he's going to be done. Just what just happened is proof that, you know, he said, he told me he was done definitively. Although I kind of really thought that he wasn't. What made you think that? Uh, just knowing Larry and knowing, I think he likes doing Curb better than anything else he's ever done. That's my sense. I don't, I don't know. I never asked him that question. But I know what he's like on set and how much fun he's having. I think writing the outlines can be really brutal for him because it's just so hard. But once they're done and once we're on set shooting, I think I know what a great time he has. He has a ball. We all do. We laugh all day. I didn't know what it was going to be like because we're all five years older. We hadn't done the show in five years. That's a long time. I'm telling you the truth. 
day one, first word, done. We're back. It was back. Because no one tries to outdo their own character. And if you do, when you're ad-libbing, boy, you stick out. You just stick out. I, I mean, it's, you automatically go back into what you do. And I feel this year we pushed it. We pushed the envelope more. I know Larry and I did when we were in scenes. We pushed it more. And it, and it came out, I think, great. And HBO took the time limit off the show. Some shows, like I think show six, will go 40 minutes because it just is funny for 40 minutes. And I love that. I mean, I think that's great because then you can step out and do more. And if it doesn't work, you can cut it. But I had a good time this year. I had a real good time. I have a good time every year, but this year I enjoyed it maybe the most. I'm not a swan killer, okay? Hey, let me remind you of something, asshole. You're talking way too loud about swan killing in the dining room. Why is that so hard to understand? How many rules are you going to break, okay? You're not supposed to have your phone on. It's always ringing. You killed a swan. Get your fucking you killed voice a down. Swan. Shut up. Shut up. There's too many things going on in the world for him to address. You know, there's a lot of things going on in the world he has to address. And Curb is that show that does that, you know. You know, Larry pushes the boundaries of humor in the coolest way possible. And people are thirsty for it. They can't wait to the new season. And, man, it felt like, i tell you something. For me, it's once I put my Leon wardrobe on, once I put my do-rag on my head, you know, I put my sneakers on, you know, my Leon jeans and my tank top, I'm right back into the flow. You know, it was one of those things. It's like taking the training wheels off again. You know what I mean? Putting the training wheels off for a second and taking them back off again. Oh, I know how to ride a bike. And it became this thing, man. It was just like, it was like butter, man. It was like butter. You know, it was just like everything came right back, man. And, you know, everyone, all the crew, the same crew, you know, all the cast. And we all just started flowing again like normal, man. Because I think Larry makes it easy for you also. I think it's kind of like playing t-ball. He, he, he just slow pitches it so, you know, it's just a slow pitch, man. Or it's sitting on that tee. And all you got to do is hit it. Just hit the damn ball, man. You know, don't overthink it. Just have a good time. Just be be your character. And for us, you know, it works. It works for us. You know, it works for the formula of the show. It really works. And you can't help but hit the ball. Larry sets you up so well. So coming back was easy breezy, man. We all got back on our bike, and we all started pedaling. And it worked. I, I, I totally believe it's going to be one of the greatest seasons of Curb Enthusiasm ever. One of the questions they kept asking us at the TCAs, which is a question that, like, irks me, how have your characters changed over the past six years? We haven't. We're still the same. That's comedy. You don't change and grow. You, st- you make the same mistakes over and over again. Right. I you definitely know? do not want Susie Green to have an arc. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this cute? I mean, how much fun is this? Huh? Great, right? You know, nice. Yeah. Not quite my cup of tea, but, you know, it's nice. All right, you know what? Fuck you and fuck your tea. What? Whoever said you had taste, Mr. Hush Puppy Rumpled Suit, look. Curb is coming back with most of the cast intact, a testament not to how much anybody may need the money, so much as living proof that they love doing the show, are proud to be part of it, and when asked, say it's one of the greatest gigs of their careers. Do you miss Curb when you're not doing it? No. 
<laughs> I love saying that. Uh, I've been very complimentary of Larry up to this point. No, yeah, you, no. It's, it's, you know, um, <laughs> no, no, it's just, I don't know. It's just this wonderful, like, thing that drifts by you periodically. But you keep on saying I, yes. Yes, of course. I will always say yes. Because you know, <laughs> um, it's too much fun. But you know, I you know he's my friend. So when he wants to go out and do movies and write a play and go act on Broadway, then how wonderful for him, you know. So it's not like I, I miss I miss anything. It's just I go watch what he's doing next. <laughs> what was it know? like when you heard that there was going to be a season nine that he's coming back for season nine? Because it's been six years. You know what, man? Something in me said that. You know what? I believed in my heart that he would. You know, when, when I first met Larry, I said, Larry, you know, man, you, you can't stop now. I said, people love the damn show. So I told him, I said, I said you got to pick a number of where to stop at that makes sense. You know, we talked about that, but um, he never had an indication of, of when he wanted to come back, if he wanted to come back. But for me, when he said he was coming back, I kind of had a thing in my belly like, like he would. I did sneak in something. I go, God, it would be fun if you got 100 episodes. It'd be like, you know, I turned it into like a baseball analogy, you know. Come on, get your 100th home run, whatever, some crap like that. And and he, he wasn't funny, so he didn't laugh. It's one of those things, man, because, you know, I mean, Larry's very particular, you know. And I think what thing, the thing about it, I think this is weird, but I think Larry and I, you know, have a lot in common like the JB of Larry and the Larry of JB, I believe we have a lot in common. We both have a lot of interest, and I do believe we both kind of, in some sense, think like comedians, you know, because I'm quick to say no to something if someone asks for it. I always feel like if you ask for it, you know, I got to produce it. I got to produce to the point where I got to satisfy your hunger for it, you know, wholeheartedly. You know, when someone says, Oh my God! Tell me a joke about the kangaroo and the pig. And you're like, oh man, it, it wasn't that funny. No, this shit is funny, man. Tell him a joke. That joke has got to be over funny. It's got to be bigger than what the person is is portraying it as. You know what I'm saying? And that puts you on the spot. And now that you did this body of work that's so goddamn amazing, and getting praised for it, Emmy awards, Emmy nominations, you have to produce. You got to top yourself. So you're always in this thing where you're going against yourself all the time. You know, and that becomes this thing where you, you almost like, uh, you rather say no to something because the expectations are so high rather than deal with, you know, whether it's going to be as funny or better than what you previously did. So I think I, I do that all the time. You know, if you ask for it, I got to give it to you tenfold because I got to live up to what you see it as and what you're describing it to the person as. I got to top that. It's got to be way funnier than what you are portraying it as, you know? So I think Larry has this thing, you know, uh, that about that we all get caught up in it as comedians. You know, we want to make sure if we, if we come back, this has got to be the funniest shit ever. Or the person who adores us the most and give us that feedback has got to amp you up so much that you start doing it and you, and you get past a certain threshold and you can't say no, you can't go backwards now because you're already too far in. You hand that man a carton of fucking milk, guess what? It's going to be a fucking milkshake. That was not Parkinson's. Hey, thank God he ain't hand you his dick, you know what I mean? He could have been shaking and shook that dick up, hand you the dick, and the dick shot sperm in your face. Yeah, but what, what, why would he hand me a dick? I'm just an example. What kind of example is that? I'm just comparing it to other things you can shake up. 
right? We're Parkinson's, right? You just live in a, a total dick world. It's a, a good example. The distance between Curb Your Enthusiasm and, let's say, Hogan's Heroes, or between Curb and Three's Company, or Curb and any number of other examples, is so great as to be immeasurable. That's not to denigrate those other earlier shows. It's just to point out how the medium itself has changed, and in many, many ways, for the better. This is the most positive I've ever seen him after a season into a five-year hiatus, but... He's so wiped out. It's so difficult what he does. In some respect, rather, it's harder to do what he does than just to write a great half-hour script because he's got to count on the actors to move the story along and to be funny without his writing. And from the first frame of the first episode to the last one in the tenth episode, it all has to fit like a puzzle. So it's really complicated, and it's, and it's really tiresome you know, on his comedic brain. So, you know, he, he never feels like he'll do it again unless... But at dinner, he was really ecstatic over the season. And I know enough about the season that I think this is the best season of all. And uh, he wouldn't do another season if he didn't think he could top the one prior. And he did. I, I'm not, like, boasting because I'm in the show. I'm in half the show, you know, half the series. And I'm a supporting player, and that's I'm proud to be in it. But I'm a fan of his, and I'm a fan of the show, and I'm a fan of how brave he is. He's a really heroic writer. I know I, I mentioned before that I, he truly is the Norman Lear of the last 30, 40 years of this generation of, of television writers. And, and uh, he deserves that. He's won every award, every Writers Guild Award, every every possible award. He deserves it. There's no one like him. And um but he seems really pleased, and for him to be pleased, I wouldn't say, hey, you look happy. If I say that, I could blow the whole tenth year, you know. A couple of things about Curb are obvious legacy material, even before the show's first-run life is over. First, never before, except maybe in TV's outer fringes, has a show drawn so heavily on improvisation. Second, Larry David's emergence as a TV star in his own program proves you don't have to be super handsome or well-muscled or acting for years and years to star in hit series. But if you try and pull that off, good luck with it. We had talked over the years, you know, about his desires and his frustrations with Seinfeld, even though he was very happy with it. I think he sort of had a kind of a vision of himself as a performer. He had been a great cult comedian back in New York and even in Los Angeles, like a comedian's comedian. And I think he felt that he never really fully fulfilled that ambition. I think he wanted to do it in a kind of a more controlled atmosphere, like a more theater atmosphere where people came to see him. And I think after Seinfeld, he felt he might have that form now. He might have the venue uh, to be able to control the uh, circumstances so people were coming to see him. Larry's 12 years older than I am, but, you know, we connected and we liked each other and we would hang out a bit afterwards. I'd walk him to his car afterwards. And um, we started to hang out. We became friends. And he was living in L.A. at the time. He was sort of back and forth between L.A. and New York during the 80s. But he was in L.A. for a stretch, and so we started to hang out. And he would pick me up when he'd have a set to do at the improv. And I would just go with him, just to hang with him and watch his set. And we'd have dinner together. And I remember he would eat at the improv because the comics got like 20% off their dinner tab. And he needed that. He needed that 20% because he was broke and <laughs> unemployable. If anyone has any doubt 
that God has a sense of humor, they should just remind themselves that they gave Larry a billion dollars, okay? Because what's he going to do for angst, okay? He thrives on that, you know, this, on what's wrong and, and that thing, okay? Is there any change in him? He goes out of his way not to have changed, all right? Like I said, he's generous. He's given jobs to people when they've needed it. He's extended himself. Yeah, he lives in this really nice house. And when I go out there, I stay with him, okay? But you want to know something? I also stayed at that shitty apartment he had on West 43rd Street. So now it's a bigger, nicer place. But it's the same extension of graciousness. He's got all the accoutrement of somebody who's very wealthy, but it's understated. And it's, to me, it's hilarious because look at the toys that Larry has now. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's my view of it. I'll call him and say, uh, you know, are you going to the uh, the Emmy Awards? Are you going to this or going to that? I don't want to, but they're making me. And, and it's the same sort of, the, the dialogue is exactly the same. I think he's enjoying it as much as he can. All right? And I think that the reason he is, because look how long it took him to become what he is what he's done is created a character a character that we feel we know whether we met him or not the way he looks his little nuances facial expressions his discomfort when he's uncomfortable it's funny what he's created is somebody who can speak to that naughty part of us you know, he speaks for it and to it and for it, and we let him voice it. And so there's something incredibly cathartic about us seeing him do and say things that we would never do. Is this a new thing? No, this has been going on for like about 20 years now there. Oh, really? How come I haven't heard the clumping You before? haven't lived here. You've, you've lived in California. I've been living here for over a month. I haven't heard any clumping. What, am I bullshitting you? I mean... Uh, I, I don't know. I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. Want to know what I think, Fox? I'm hanging on it. Are you? I think you're upset about the shushing. I think you were pissed off about the Hitler mustache on your father-in-law. I think you shook up that can of soda on purpose. And I think you're clumping now. And you've made up some bullshit excuse about your feet. And it's all under the guise of Parkinson's. That's what I think. Huh? I thought I was the sickest guy on this block, but you're the new champ. Admit it, few things can make you happier than crawling into a really, really soft bed. And parachute sheets deliver that feel to you night after night after night. I know because I get to crash on them every night, and they're always perfect. Parachute sheets are all natural and responsibly made with no harmful chemicals, using 100% long staple Egyptian cotton that's so breathable and doesn't trap heat. And they're not just comfortable, they look amazing too. When you buy parachute bedding, you don't just get great sleep you get safe sleep too. Since the beginning, Parachute has partnered with the United Nations Nothing But Nets, a global campaign that raises awareness of malaria and the funds to help prevent it. So try them for yourself. Parachute is so sure you'll love their sheets, they're often a 60-night trial. And if you don't love them, just send them back. No questions asked. Visit ParachuteHome.com Origins now for free shipping and returns on Parachute's amazing bedding. That's ParachuteHome.com Squarespace exists to enable those who want to create innovative and highly visual ways to present their ideas online. Squarespace asks, what's your next move? There are many reasons why I wanted to do the Origins podcast. To begin with, 
I thought that audio storytelling would be a natural extension of the work that I've done throughout my career as a writer. Podcasting also offers a way to showcase the voices of the many talented people I interview. I'm proud to say that the Origins team is now using Squarespace and that these episodes are available on the web at www.jamesandrewmiller.com forward slash Origins. Squarespace's domain experience was incredibly beneficial to us and was easy to set up. Their award-winning templates offered us compelling ways to present our ideas online. In doing so, Squarespace helped us make our next move. Use offer code ORIGINS for 10% off your first purchase of a website and domain and make your next move with Squarespace. Again, that's 10% off using the code ORIGINS. All right, Mocha Joe. No, it's not that it's okay. okay. About Larry. You know what? You no. know what? I just no. realized something. I just realized something. I was completely wrong about not tipping you. Oh, really? And I want to make it up to you right now. Okay. I want to tip you now. Nah. Hey, forget this favor. No, no, no. I'll, no, I'll tip you. I'll give you a tip. No, you said you would do me the favor. I, I, now you're going back and you want to pay me well, off? I want to go back in time, okay? Go back in time. Give you the tip that you should have, that you deserved yeah. for oh. taking the jumper cables no. to the no. office, even though you were going no, there. They're... And I'll give you the tip that I should have given you. No, going back in time. But Larry, in, in real life, and I'm sure he probably doesn't want me saying this, he really cares about people. Not everybody. <laughs> but people close to him. He's a very loyal person, and he really cares about... I don't want to say people's feelings, but I, I will. But I'm talking about a handful of people, okay? The rest of the world, he doesn't have time to tiptoe around. But right. Not that he tiptoes around his, his good friends, but he definitely, he's a very genuine, caring person. But what's amazing about Larry is he knows what's funny about his shortcomings. <laughs> and then he uses those in the show. I realized early on, that it was no different than really going out to dinner socially with Larry in real life. Because, first off, Larry is one of those rare people who did stand-up and is a comedian and a writer. A lot of times those people can be selfish with their own laughter. You know, they're the funny person, and you laugh at them. He delights in other people around him being funny. So he... It's so much fun to make Larry in real life laugh. As soon as you make him laugh, it just, it's like music to your ears. It just feels so good. So you go out to dinner with him in real life, and you basically spend the evening, or at least I do, trying to find new ways to insult him to make him laugh uh, or say something that makes him laugh. So that's basically what you do when you go to work. And, you know, it's kind of no different. Mary. One evening, we were all out or something, and she said to Larry, I don't remember what the conversation was that led up to this. She said, if I were ever in trouble, real trouble, you would be one of the first people I would call. And it almost put tears in his eyes. He was so moved by that. But it was true. That's how she feels about Larry. He is this weird combination of the most socially selfish, awkward, you know, you, you show up to dinner and he's already halfway through his entree because he's changed his mind and actually wants to go do something else. You know, he refuses to go to people's house for dinner because he feels trapped. You know, if I go to your house for dinner, I have to sit there politely. <laughs> you know, so this combination of like excruciatingly, embarrassingly to most of us, you know, socially, but at the same time, he has this incredible, you know, astounding heart and you just kind of delight in being around him. 
Larry David is the opposite of the Larry David that you ever see on camera doing the most outrageous things. He is a generous person, one of the most generous in so many ways that I can't even describe. And uh, most people who've worked with him, I have a feeling, would tell you the same thing. And he's a committed friend. If you're a friend of Larry's, you're a friend for always. And he does whatever he can to help. And he's the kind of person that, if he heard me saying this, he'd puke his guts out. <laughs> but it is who he is. He is a, exactly the opposite of the character that he plays. It's great because, you know, the William Morris Agency, I think like about a year or two years before I tried to sign Larry, had let him go. You know, they were pruning their list and they were getting rid of Larry. And, you know, the insanity of that is hilarious. And that they couldn't look through wherever he was in his career, which had a lot to do with, you know, him, what he wanted to do. You know, him being a stand-up versus really focusing on, say, you know, becoming a screenwriter, which really I don't think was his ultimate goal. And that they couldn't see that it didn't really matter what he did, whether he was going to write screenplays or write something for himself or perform, that this guy was a true genius and somebody who had to be cultivated and you had to go along with him on his journey in the path that he chose and try to do everything you could to help him realize his ultimate objectives is ridiculous. I mean, I feel really happy about that. You know, the fact that I had the talent or the foresight to be able to go, this guy is unique and this guy will be successful no matter what he does. But at the same time, I feel extremely lucky that he was open to becoming my client and that he stuck with me for so long, and in, including during periods of time where everybody wanted him um, and where he even had maybe some conflict with his wife about staying with me. The other thing about Larry is perseverance. I mean, he is a person who hung in and believed in himself and believed in his point of view and never tried to change it so that he could become successful. He waited for the success to come to him and for people to understand what he was doing. Here's the thing about Larry. He is genuinely funny. His DNA is humor, and it's Larry David's kind of humor. He's not afraid to reveal anything about himself. When he's doing stand-up, he would do that. And he is as bold as you get in how much he wants to sort of dig into himself and reveal that humorously in characters on stage. You know, Larry's like, Larry's in the Philip Roth, Saul Bellow kind of, forgive me for being chauvinistic, but Jewish tradition of angst and comedy and contemporizing it so it belongs in this decade. It's hard for me to put in words. Maybe one day I'll be able to. I'm sorry, I can't do it for you, but it's one of the most spectacular experiences of my career and of my life. And there's not a day I, I, that goes by that I'm not grateful that not only do I know and love Larry and, and his kids, his two amazing daughters, but the fact that he respects my work I'm a lucky cat. Why are you pulling that out of here? Is that 100% cashmere? What are you doing here, Larry? Is that 100% cashmere? Well, you don't believe me? Would you mind if I check the label? I just my, want what, to. My, my, my word's not good enough for you. Yeah, let me just let me take a look. No. Come on, let me just take don't, a look. I don't like people touching I, me. I, I, I won't touch you. I'll just no, take, I, I'll just I, take I, a I want you to call. I'll take a quick. I, stop it. I, I want you to call Jeff. Whoa, look at the table. You call Jeff and tell him I'm not hiding there. What the hell is going on here? That's it, Larry. You're fired. By the way, what was it like when. 
people started coming up to you in the street. I mean, obviously people knew you from comedy, but when people started coming up to you in the street in season three and talking about you and your character and, you know, fans like that. Most bizarre thing is they would just, you know, beg me to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> you know, I'd be in the middle of Broadway at Fairway looking at produce, you know, and they're just shoving phones in my face. It's my husband. Call him a fat fuck, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so that was, that's just bizarre. You know? <laughs> that it's like this, you know, you know, my grandmother used to say, you make plans and God laughs. I never planned my life that I'm beloved for telling people to go fuck themselves. <laughs> but it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of nice. Is it fair to say that it- Curb has changed your life? Oh, absolutely. To be on a show that I actually am proud of, and uh, I mean, I could have been on, you know, I mean, there's a million. I could have been on some crap sitcom all these years and making shit loads of money, and that would have been okay. There's nothing wrong with making money, but to be on a show that I actually am, am so proud of and that I would watch and that is iconic, I mean, it's amazing. I think I had recently been in a show that was canceled and so it was like about my uh, 20th year of doing half-hour sitcoms and I thought, oh, I'm burned out. I'm not funny. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to quit. I'm going to just do movies. No more of this. And going there and just having pure kid-like fun with Larry just kind of re-energized me in in this wonderful way. It absolutely changed my life on a few different levels. One that, you know, I've become great friends with Larry David, and I've been fortunate enough to work with him and work with our directors. We have some great directors that direct our episodes. And and just our cast, you know, working with Jeff and Susie, Richard Lewis, it's just J.B. Smoove, Wanda Sykes. It's just been you know, to say it's enriched my life is an understatement. So yeah, it changed my life. And I and now, you know, people offer me roles because of what they've seen on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So I went from, you know, an unknown actress to people started to learn my name and started to know my work, if you will. So you go from being an actor who's carrying around your headshot and resumes in your trunk to taking meetings, you know, so it was nice, really, really nice. Clerk has met me as a comedian, me as an actor, expanding my demographics. You know, I've met people, I've met producers, directors, you know, they all tend to pull from this curve uh, Rolodex of actors and, and what we do. And, and, you know, I'm anchored in now. I'm anchored into one of the greatest, to me, one of the best shows ever on television. You know, I'm anchored in one of the best people. Uh, that being Larry, biggest heart, creatively speaking, you know, it allows me to grow. You know, everyone on the show has been so amazing. This this is what, you know, we get into this entertainment for. That's to make people happy, make people laugh. And I think this is what it's all about, man. I wished I could be on this show. My wife told me I would be on this show. You know, uh, things had to happen in a certain order for me to be in this show. You know, SNL had to go away. You know, I always realized this, that if, if I had got renewed for SNL, I would have never had opportunity to do Kirby Enthusiasm. If my buddy didn't pass away, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do, do Kirby Enthusiasm. You know, all these things had to happen in a certain way, in a certain order, for me to end up where I, this road, this journey, to end up on Kirby Enthusiasm. So for me, it's big for me. It's a blessing, man. <laughs> 
By the way, you know, I have a very good idea for you to avoid situations like this in the future. Yeah. I think you should consider wearing glasses. Fuck out of here. Swear to God, I have noticed that white people revere black people in glasses. Go out of their way to do stuff for them. If a, if a black man with glasses goes up for a job against a white man, yeah. glasses gets the job. No glasses, no job. We'll try this shit, Larry. It's a wager. You're open on. to it? I'm open to the shit. Beautiful. I'll try this shit. See okay. what the fuck happens. All right, let's go. These days, you can get practically everything on demand, right? Like our podcast. You can listen whenever you want, whenever it's convenient for you. So why are you still going to the post office, waiting online and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? You know that feeling you get when you get things done with just a click of your mouse? It can't get more convenient than that, thanks to Stamps.com. Look, anything you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your home with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. So you can get postage whenever you need it, 24-7. Right now, for our listeners, sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code ORIGINS for this special offer. A four-week trial including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Within minutes, you'll be printing postage right from your desk. Go to Stamps.com. And before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Origins. Don't forget, it's the little microphone at the top of the screen. That's stamps.com. Enter Origins. You'll never have to go to the post office again. Sammy caught me putting the money under her pillow because you woke her up with those things in your shoes. And now she knows that I'm the tooth fairy. Yes. The shoes woke her up? Yes, the shoes woke her up. She knows that there's no tooth fairy now. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, you're sorry? I'm her mother. Trust. I, I know, but you know, it had to happen eventually. You know, you're a stupid fucking idiot. Given all that you've done, what was it like adding Curb Your Enthusiasm to your portfolio? It's amazing. People are so in awe of Curb Your Enthusiasm. They should be. But we didn't know that we were creating a masterpiece. I don't say that about myself, but about Larry. We didn't know that we were creating this formula for how comedy should be done. The improvisation, you know, I'm, you know, my background was Second City, so I could contribute that. But to allow the actors to improvise, we could then hear if the script that we had in mind or just the few words that we had in mind are good enough and you get to get a loose, comfortable feeling and you're able to give yourself options in the editing room that you normally wouldn't have. I was struck by the fact that you said that it had changed your career. I mean, given your body of work previously, Ted, I mean, you were kind of marching from success to success. Why is Curb different in your mind or why do you think it became such a... I just think that I had reached a point where I felt like I was repeating myself, that I, other people were way funnier and way better at, you know, comedy. And, and I think I had a show canceled that I was in. And I think I was slightly demoralized and thought, I'm going to just go back to doing movies. I don't care, you know, how small I'll start over or whatever. And this came along as a lark. You know, it was almost like doing summer theater or even less important than that. It was just so unimportant. You know, you'd show up in your car, he'd call you the day before and say, what are you doing tomorrow? Uh, you're calling down. And you'd bring your own clothes and 
they'd slap a little makeup on you and then you'd go jump in front of the camera and play. So it was like no stress, none. <laughs> so it just became this fun game that he was carrying the load and you got to play along with him. So I just found that I, my sense of fun and my delight in acting got rejuvenated, you know, and also up until that point, I was always looking for the lead, you know, or if somebody would offer me something where the money or the lead or the whatever, and I realized, wait a minute, I'm focusing on the wrong end of this. I need to find the most creative person in the room. Wait till they write something and want to do something that's just they're just you know is so authentic because it's just coming out of them and then ask them very nicely if I could be part of that and I don't care how big the part is or small the part is let me just be part of this creative thing that's bursting out of you and if you do that you're likely to get into something that is really authentic and different and interesting what have you learned from Larry and from doing Curb about either your own work or about comedy? I've learned about comedic acting. The reason why I love working with Larry so much, there's many reasons, but, but one of the main reasons as a comedic actress that I love working with Larry is I never, ever think about being funny, ever. I never have to think about it because I so trust him. You know, his sense of story is that, that, that to me is, he's got many aspects of his genius, but I think that might be the biggest part of his genius is his sense of story. You know, his sense of story is just so brilliant. And if you take apart the outlines, you can't even, it's transcendent. You can't even figure out how he gets there is, is how good it is. So I know the way that he sets something up that it's going to be funny. And I don't even have to think about it. I could just be in character and play the character and play the relationships and play my intent without having to make it funny. And that's been the greatest, for me as an actress, the greatest part of Curb. You know, I think in, in many ways, more than the others, Curb is the quintessential HBO show because it's rooted in HBO's history of giving comics their unfiltered, unfettered platform, you know, whether it was a stand-up hour in the beginning, uh, whether when we did then half hours with a lot of comics, because that was more impactful, or we did the young comedian shows, uh, you know, very early on that just showcased a broad range of comedy talents, you know, to a show like The Sanders Show. So Curb, because it was Larry, because of his history, because of what he'd accomplished in television, uh, in broadcast television, network television, to come to HBO and do this, which was, in a sense, the purest Larry, because even Seinfeld, as great as it was, was a collaboration between Larry and Jerry. And it was a lot of Larry's point of view coming through Jerry's mouth, along with Jerry's point of view, obviously. This was Larry. So I think, and maybe one of the reasons why Curb is still on, because Larry is at heart the, the consummate comedy engine, and he can do it all. How different is Curb in the context of the history of television comedic shows? Well, that's a great question. I mean, you know, just like Seinfeld, they are groundbreaking shows, and yet 
if you're a student of comedy, which you are and I am, you know it's part of a continuum as well. So um, TV from the very beginning had great comedy stars, Burns and Allen, Danny Thomas, you know, uh, whoever it was, Joey Bishop, you know, I mean, all did shows that were sort of based around their lives, their personas, some sort of uh, kind of, in some ways, like the Burns and Allen show where they're talking to the camera, very breakthrough kind of stuff. And, but again, a, a comedian with a vision doing uh, a great show that's sort of based on their life in some way. So there is that precedent for that, you know. And I think Seinfeld really was kind of born out of that. Curb takes it that one step further. Curb is, you know, Seinfeld is like pre-cable, and Curb is like post-cable. And in the post-cable world, you know, again, just like a lot of things fell together for Seinfeld to become Seinfeld, a lot of things fell together for Curb to be Curb. I often say Larry David is probably the most important person in my adult life, the most influential person in my adult life. What made you come back? And I just wanted to do it again. Hmm. People kept asking me. I guess I thought, yeah, I suppose I should do this. You kind of missed it. Yeah, I did. I missed it. Because nothing else really gives me as much satisfaction as, as doing this. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 